Okay, so two things before I get started. One is, you have to forgive me for two things. One, I am a little rusty because I've been back in the States and been out of the mission field for a couple months, so I haven't had a chance to preach much. And two, uh, when we preach over in Thailand, we preach like this. So, how you doing, church? And then, uh, uh, Minglaba, and the, the translator, uh, Minglaba, and then he says, how you doing, church, in Burmese, and then I come back, and I say, so, we're, this morning we're going to talk, and then I have to pause, <laughs> and you go, and so, I, I don't put, lo- I don't put sentences together, I don't get, I don't get to do that much, <laughs> so, so when I'm speaking to the, to my English brothers and sisters, and you guys wanted me to just go boom, 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 English, English. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I'm probably going to get a little tongue-tied and messed up. But no, the Lord's got, the Lord's under in control, right? So we don't have to worry. Sorry. I know, I know, I know. I got to get my computer. Um, so John, you know, he set a pretty high standard when he introduced me. So uh, I'm not sure. We'll we'll see if we can live up to about 50% of what he just said about me. But um, I do have a little story about John. So before, as we get started, so I understand you got, yeah, yeah, real, really, really good. Um, so you know, uh, John has mentioned that uh, him and Stacy came over and joined us in Thailand for two years of teaching. We were doing a. Uh, Bible leadership training for pastors from Burma. And um, so the first year that, that John was over there, he had come with a, a, a little bit of a, you know, kind of got sick just right towards the end there. And it was like kind of like just sort of starting to come on. And it was like, we we're praying, man, you know, you know, got to finish. And so I heard that, you know, when I heard that you guys were in the book of Hebrews, I'm like, wow, this is like deja vu, you know, because... <laughs> He was going to teach Hebrews over in Thailand to uh, this group. And this group is excited because this group doesn't get a lot of Old Testament teaching, you know. So, you know, they're excited to listen to Hebrews. Uh, pastors over there, you know, they're doing topical messages. They're, they're Half the time they're grabbing the hymnal and, oh, what's the hymn today? Oh, oh, lead me to the cross. Okay, we'll teach on that. You know, they're, they're not going verse by verse. They're not doing any of that. So... You know, uh, I'm like, they're excited, man. These, this group of pastors are excited to listen to Hebrews and John's plowing through it and all of a sudden John loses his voice. And he just finishes chapter 10. And what are you guys in? Oh, you guys just finished chapter 9. So let's see. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying <laughs> that there's any jinx or anything, but you know, let's just hope you guys can get through chapter 13 without any events because I had to step in, pick up in chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, which is, hey, not a bad chapter to pick up on, you know. And so we jumped in and we got it done and it was all good and he got better and and here he is today. So uh, I'm excited that he's going to take you guys through the remainder of that book, right, John? Um, So my, do we have the title up there? Yeah, so... um, you know, I love your, um, this is going to bother me all day, but, and it's okay. I love your little caption, learning to think like Christ. You know, because what I want to talk about this morning is the, 
life of Christ, not only learning to think like Christ, which is really where it all begins, right? I mean, Philippians tells us, have the mind of Christ, right? But to learning to live like Christ. You know, and John, uh, in, when we're doing communion and we, we, we're looking at this, this awesome understanding we have of the cross that we get from the Word, and, 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 you know, you got this, the, the symbol of the cross is everywhere, right? You can go out to cemeteries and whatever. And a lot of churches have it right up there, you know, a wooden thing. Well, I want to look at maybe the other side of that pillar this morning. I want to look at the other side. I want to look at what is the life of Christ do? What does it do for us theologically? What does it do for us practically? And what does that mean to the disciple? All right. So, I'm gonna, uh, when I, when I look at a verse that speaks to me, um, and speaks to, and, and I'm gonna get into kind of sharing, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, this morning I'm gonna start off by sharing a little bit about our ministry, show you a few pictures, then I'm gonna jump into the righteousness of Christ, and then the last topic will be the righteousness of the disciple. And when I look at a verse that speaks to me and spoke to my wife and I when we first dedicated our lives to the Lord in the mission field, it was the first slide. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For I am not... Yep, good, great, good job. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, for the Jew first and for the Greek, for in it, in it, in the gospel of God, of Christ, is the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. And when we think about living, when we think about our not only our life on earth, but you know, a lot of us when we if we are thinking theologically correct, we're thinking, okay, the cross has paid for my sins. The blood has washed me clean. As Isaiah says, I am now white as snow. Right? Awesome. That's awesome. But what, where do we go from there? Right? And what's that? What does the righteous life of Christ do for us? Because it says we live by faith. We, you know, I think that we could arguably, you know, lay the foundation that the live here, the word live here is eternal life. Clear. But I think it also means our physical life here on this earth. And I want to talk about both of those. Because the word live, the just shall live. We're going to unpack that, those three words right there. The just shall live is a dynamic thing, a powerful thing in our life. It set Martin Luther free. You know, when this old, this Catholic monk who was, who was going through all the penance and he was, he was just going through all the work and everything he had to go through and starvation and everything that they do as monks. I don't even know. You read about it, but, you know, thank, thankfully I never did that. I almost did go to seminary once. <laughs> but Martin Luther, when he read this verse, and actually, it, he actually was t- taken here, but he read, he read the actual same verse in Galatians. His, the Galatians verse is the one that set him free, but of course it's the same verse. Same writer. I mean, it just set, set him free. And of course, we had the Protestant Reformation come out of that, Right? Believers truly have been made, have been set free by this verse as well. 
The just shall live by faith. We do not have to work. We do not have to go through. I love telling my Buddhist friends, you don't have to do the temple. You don't have to do the alms. You don't have to do this and this and this. Jesus paid for all your sins. Amen? Amen. I mean, you can't give anything more than that to God. You can't give anything more. The perfect sacrifice. I love where you guys are at in Hebrews because it's not only the perfect sacrifice, it's not only the perfect, uh, 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 the perfect, uh, high priest. It's not, it's not only that he's, he's building a better house than Moses. It's not, it's not only that. It's the perfect life. And he, and as we're going to learn this morning, that, that life he wants us to live. He doesn't want us to just live like this world. Galatians chapter 5, next slide please, uh, 5 verse 1. Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free or you free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Perfect verse for Hebrews, right? Man, they just want to keep going back, backwards, back to the law, back to the stuff, back to all these things that look on the outside as all religious. And yet, on the inside, they don't do anything because none of it's better than Christ. So we're going we're gonna to look at that. And so before we get into a uh, little bit about the ministry and get into the righteousness of Christ, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wonderful day, this wonderful group of people. The, uh, I thank you personally just for the opportunity, the privilege to speak to my brothers and sisters here in Newburgh. What a beautiful place it is here. It was a beautiful drive up, Lord. We know that every day is prepared by you. Every cloud, every raindrop, every snowflake, everything's prepared by you. And we just, we just worship you. We thank you. And most of all, the word was prepared by you. You are the word, Jesus. In the whole volume of the book, it is written about you. And let us grow in our knowledge of the word. Let us grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ and grow in the relationship we have with him through the word. And let it happen this morning as we, as we go through um, these verses to, to look at what your life, what you did in your life and how your life, what your life does for us and how much it means to us. And we just thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so STGM, that's our ministry. Uh, again, it was when, we, when I, I came to faith late in life, 43 years old, Roman Catholic, all my life, raised, went through all the stuff, and I was set free by the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, bizarre, right? I mean... Uh, not bizarre, really. I mean, love, God is love. You know, what better thing to be set free than God's, you know, God's love. But for some reason, man, the guy that was teaching that chapter and I just, just like, whoa, I want, I want more. I want, I want all that. I want everything around that. And came back to Reading and where, where we were from and, um, started to fellowship with Christians and, um, started to see what they had. And wanted it and got saved. My wife got saved in the old Chuck Smith days, uh, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, when she was 16 
in those hippies. She's a big, she's a hippie. No, I'm just kidding. Um, she's not a hippie. She's listening, so I can't say too much. Um, she's helping Stacy, so uh, you can meet her after church if you haven't met her yet. But uh, when I got saved, I said, okay, honey, because she'd been praying for that. She probably should never have married me. But um, when, she, when I got saved, I said, oh, enough, enough of living for myself, enough of working to get to Christ. We're going to serve Christ. You know, and then got that Joshua verse up in my house, you know, you know, we will serve the Lord. Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So we did. And we started doing missions, mission, short term mission trips, Mexico. We even went to Burma with Voice of the Martyrs. We did this. We did that. And um, then the tsunami hit uh, the earthquake in Indonesia. Uh, the tsunami hit Thailand. Uh, and we were uh, my work is seasonal. I was out of work during that season of the year, and I started praying. I said, God, you know, we got to go. You know, take me. I didn't even know where it was. I, I literally had to look Thailand up on the map. You know, it's just one of not one of those places I frequented in my ge- geogra- in my geography lessons, right? And so I I I, I just started praying. And I said, I don't want to just send the hundred bucks. I want to go. And I had, but I had no idea. We didn't know anybody over there. Well, a little. Uh, to our surprise, uh, the church that we were attending at times, Calvary Chapel Reading, was uh, um, was the, the pastor there. That our church was supporting a lady over in Thailand who was uh, doing a lot of orphanage work. And anyways, um, they went over there. A bunch of pastors who were supporting her. They got together. They said, "What do you need?" And the first thing out of her mouth is, "I need an accountant," <laughs> because money was just pouring in as as faithful Christians and wonderful Americans do when 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 disaster strikes we step up and man she's just getting all this money coming in and then the money's going out yo you need your house built okay here you go and this and that and literally the coastline of Thailand lost 10,000 people completely demolished and it hit specifically hit a four kilometer stretch of resorts and houses of Thai people that serve those resorts um, that were, uh, there, I don't even remember how many there were, there were over 30, I think, that were just in a line. And the tsunami hit at an angle and just boom, 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 they just all fell. Um, they had, this guy actually videotaped the whole thing. And, and it was just, anyways, we, we, she, I said, I'm, I'm in, you know, we're, we're, we'll go, you know, we're ready. We had our passports already, we'd already been to Burma. And so anyways, we did tsunami relief, tsunami relief work for, about five and a half, six months, something like that. And uh, we really thought we were going to come home. And that was it. And God brought us back. And we spent two years in Chiang Mai at an orphanage. And we thought that was over. And at the end of that two-year stint, just as it was about to end, God gave the call on my life. And he said, you're going to teach the Bible. And he spoke to me very clearly. Uh, three letters. Uh, IBS, standing for Inductive Bible Study. And it was just one of those one of those moments that I haven't had before, I may not have again. Some of us have them, some of them don't. You just felt God just say IBS. Now, I know he didn't say IBS from heaven. Everybody would have heard it, but I know I heard it somehow. And of course, we know that's the Holy Spirit. So I immediately, um, anyways, long story, boy, lots of stories with that. But we we started to do that. Uh, I started to teach IBS in 2007. That's when we started our ministry, our 501c3 here. Uh, which is STM, STG Ministries, Share the Gospel Ministries. And it was this verse in Romans. It was like, we're not afraid. We're going to share. This is what we're going to be about. We're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
but we don't know Thai. <laughs> we don't need no Burmese. We're actually called to the Burmese people. And we have to live in Thailand because Burma is a closed country. And you can't live there. They don't allow Americans to live there. You have to marry a Burmese wife if you want to live there, if you're a guy, and vice versa. Uh, I already had an American wife, so I don't, didn't need to do that. <laughs> and so we're living at the very northern border of Thailand in order to get to these to the Burmese people. We don't speak Burmese. I can tell you Minglaba, that means hello. And Jesu Timbare, that means thank you. And yeah, we got a little words here and there after the last 14 years. But... We don't even speak it now. Um, thank, thank God for translators. You're going to see some pictures here as we, as I jump into these pictures and you'll see our translator. But, but it, and, and this is part of, this is, this is going to be the, 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 the crux of the message. The life of Christ is not about speaking. The life of Christ is about us. It's about our actions. It's about what we do. When you go to share the gospel, we don't share the gospel with our mouth right off the bat. You know, we, if we do that, they'll just call us a bunch of Bible thumpers. You know, you're just... No, we share it with our life. Our life will draw them in, right? People were drawn. Oh, follow me. Okay. Two words out of Jesus' mouth. And Matthew just stands up, follows. <laughs> Peter, follow. Jumps off the boat, follows. John follows. Follow me. <laughs> That's incredible. So what was it about Jesus that made them follow? What had they heard about the life of Jesus? Not about what he was saying. Remember what he said? The first, the words out of his mouth was repent. Stop, turn around, stop sinning, repent and be saved. The kingdom of God is at hand. Whoa. But what was it about that drew Jesus? It was about his life. So uh, anyway, so that's what we, when we went over there, it was like, man, you know, what we got to do is we got to live for Christ over here to share the gospel. We got to live like Christ. That's what people are going to see. Uh, so, oh, yeah, there we go. Number one. Uh, oh, man, I'm wearing the same shirt. I should have shown you a different shirt. Wow. You know, well, you know, these clothes make it over to Burma and back, you know. Isn't that? So this is actually in Burma. That's our faithful translator Mung who has been with us since 2007 guys if you ever want to pray for a brother in Christ just pray for Mung he is a lovely guy just loves the Lord Um, and I when I'm and you know one of the first things that struck me in the mission field was 7,000 miles away I'm meeting a guy that believes like me that is knitted together with me and he's part of the body of Christ with me I was like what how, how is that possible? And you get the, the visualization of the Holy Spirit in the work of him and me 7,000 miles apart. That's incredible. That is an incredible revelation to your, to your soul when you see that happening. We started supporting this guy. He came to one of our teachings right the year after John actually uh, and Stacy uh, finished up. They, they did 2013, 14, 2015. We taught this group. And um, he was so moved by the Calvary Chapel methodology, meaning not not the not anything but the fact that the Calvary Chapel, the head of the Calvary Chapel, is Jesus, not a denomination. That that pastor should be, and those elders should be looking up to Jesus, and they teach the Word of God verse by verse, 
expository teaching. They don't do that in these denominations over there. The entire church in Burma is denominational. I, I, I remember teaching the end times one time and I was teaching about how God doesn't really like denominations and this old guy came up, uh, stood up and said, well, wait a minute. And he's a Baptist. <laughs> you have to be in a denomination. I said, no, I don't. Because he said, well, what are, you know, that, I told him what I was, you know, non-denominational. Oh my goodness, non-denominational was like heresy <laughs> in Burma. And so it was like, and our, he argued with me for five days. Every single break, I, I hated to take a break, you know, because I knew this guy was going to come up and we were going to talk about it. Anyways, this guy, he said, I'm leaving the denomination. And anyway, so we, we decided to start supporting him. And so we're supporting him uh, as part of our ministry. And um, he, the, middle, the guy in the middle, his name is Philip. And again, just a wonderful, loving soul in Christ, you know. So anyway, um, next one. Uh, this is a group in Cambodia. So like, as John said, we kind of have this open uh, teaching opportunity in, in Burma, in uh, Cambodia, uh, and Thailand as well. And so this is a group of pastors in uh, Cambodia that they have switched their focus over the years. I met this, I met the leader, the, the guy that I'm hugging or I'm touch near <laughs> over there. Uh, he's one of the leaders, and I met the leader uh, doing tsunami relief work. So I've known these guys for a lot of years. And um, they finally switched their focus from community development type of sharing the gospel to church planning type sharing the gospel, which I was really happy about. I jumped in and said, I will start training. If you want, I will start training your trainer, your, your pastor. So this is a group. All five of these on the right are uh, pastors out in the field and in different places planting churches. So, um, next one. I don't have these up on my screen, but oh. And th- this is just a group that I've known. Uh, Luther was one of my first Bible students in 2007 when we started a Bible training center. And um, his son, which is uh, somewhere, uh, the third guy in the back row from the right, that's his son. And he also was one of our students later on. And he is our second translator. So we work with two translators. Guy is a brilliant kid. Um, anyways, this, this Luther is just, he's an old guy like we are and, or I am, John or whatever, and we just loves the Lord. He rides his motorcycle out in the rain in the slippery mud with the, the projector on the back and he shows the Jesus film and he's just, he's just all about sharing the gospel. And this is just a wonderful group. We're doing an end times prophecy update for him. Um, they love, you know, they just love that topic too. So anyway, we'll move on. Um, and there's Philip in the field. Um, so this is kind of gives you an idea. I, I just put this in there because I wanted to see what the typical house was like in Burma. Bamboo. Um, and there's their bed, a mat. So yeah, pretty, pretty poor country. Uh, next one. Oh, and c- can you go back? And this is the traditional, this looks like a dress. I was actually going to wear it, but I um, left them all in Burma <laughs> or in uh, Thailand at my house. Uh, but it's called a loungy, and it's actually a all one garment, and it looks like a dress, right? But it is actually the men's, uh, uh, it's their cultural dress. In fact, they're, even their prime minister will wear that to important meetings. It's very, very, anyway, so that's, they, they wear that, uh, the men do. Um, so, you, okay, we can move on. And then this is a group we taught in May uh, uh, at a Bible school in Burma. 
And Philip put that together for us. He's back in the back row there. And uh, this was a Bible school to the left, and these children in the right uh, were just really neat little children. They, they were a children's home that came to the Bible school to learn music during uh, during the break because they were off during this time. So anyway, so we'll move on and see. And this is a Hmong. Our translator has 10 children he's taken care of. Him and his wife don't have kids. Children, taking care of ch- children over there is just a huge deal. They're so poor. They... Um, all of our kids in our home, most of these kids are at-risk kids. Uh, they have parents, but the parents are so poor that they will sell them. They will, yeah. Um, they, the, the organ train, uh, trade is very big now over there, and kids are actually getting stolen. Um, and this is right at our border. They love border towns. Uh, all of our children in our home, except for one, uh, is, uh, is, you know, we're from an at-risk situation. Um, beg, begging trade is another at-risk situation, uh, and then the uh, the, uh, uh, um, the like the slave trade, if you will, make them uh, child labor. And so we bought them all these. Uh, they didn't have beds. So I'm talking to my translator one time. I was like, well, w- w- you know, what do the kids sleep on? Uh, they sleep on the floor on a mat. <laughs> it's like, okay, let's get them beds for for Christmas. So they were pretty happy. And so anyway, we, uh, we move on. Um, and then these are our kids. So uh, except that is our literal kid. <laughs> That's our son, Andrew, our second oldest, and his wife, Nui, uh, believers in Christ. Talk about a lady that loves to share the gospel. Uh, is she was formerly Buddhist. She's now Christian. And uh, they just went and did a, just recently did a village outreach to her, her village she grew up in and I can't remember the number, but I know it's more than 10. More than 10 people came to Christ. I think it's even more than that. But she she is just on fire. And, of course, she speaks real good English and obviously perfect Thai. All of our kids, so that's uh, uh, Eliza, John, Sarah, Mary, and Abby. And those are five of our six kids that we have in the home right now. We were up to 18 at one point. And so now we're at six, and it kind of fluctuates. Um, and... Uh, they, uh, yeah, great kids. Um, we'll move on to the next one. Uh, and the, well, and this is our sixth one, uh, little Maya. Uh, my wife just had to go back there because she got dengue fever, which was, is a really serious, uh, fever. And she was in the hospital, thought she was gonna die. So Brent is on, on a, like, on a plane, lands in a day. Not now. That was a couple weeks ago. But anyway, uh, this is where we live at the, uh, the, Right over those mountains is Burma, and we live in Thailand. That's a tobacco field. Anyway, those are kids. And you can move on to the next one. And there's Stacy, 2013, I think it was, or 14. I think that was 2014, wasn't it, John? Anyways, and that's John. So you saw John. If you just go back one slide, that's John now next to me, and go back or forward. And that's John when he first came into our home. Little guy, he's been with us a long time. And uh, Stacy and John just fell in love with him. But anyways, that's, uh, we were doing training, Bible training at that time. And then the next one is John in the water. So anyway, and we're doing a baptism there. And uh, so we baptized, I think, I think nine that day or anything, something like that. But 
Anyway, so that's that's what we do. I mean, just a few pictures kind of show you what's going on there in uh, Burma. And um, so now let's get in the word, get in the good stuff. That's good stuff, too. But, um, okay, the righteousness of Christ. So we want to unpack this verse. Just shall live, right? Um, when, when, we, when we think of the gospel, we think of two pillars of the gospel, right? The two pillars. We talked about the one pillar a lot today when we took communion. It's the blood of Christ, right? Hebrews chapter 9, you guys just went through this. It should be very, very near to your brain, right, in your memory. You've learned already, right? Uh, one verse says, without shedding of blood, there is no remission, right, of sins. Another one says, but now, once at the end of the ages, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, right? He put it away completely, done by the sacrifice of Jesus. Another one finally says, and Christ, or so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And so we, this, this cross, this death, the, the shedding of blood is a pillar. I mean, if we were to stop right there, which I think a lot of us actually do, you know, because the cross is, like I say, it's such a symbol that's out there. We see it. We see it in town. We see it at the cemetery. Well, uh, I mean, if I if I got rid of all my uh, desktop here, it's on my desktop. You know, well, where's the symbol of the resurrection? Isn't it interesting? We don't have a symbol. We we need an arrow, right? I mean, we have a symbol of the rapture. It's a, it's an arrow. What about a symbol of the resurrection? We we ought to make one. Maybe we can create one. Put it right here, the cross and the arrow. Anyway, but it, so if we stop right there, it is cool. I mean, the, the, if the cross of Christ, if what he did for us, paying for our sins, taking our shame, taking our pain, our insult, hanging on the cross, if that doesn't move you to tears, then y- y- you might want to poke yourself. See if you're alive, right? I mean, it should. It should move us. We worship it. It's amazing, the forgiveness, right? So that, I mean, we could just say, wow, and stop right there, but that's only half of the gospel. Paul says the gospel, right? He gives it to the Corinthians. He said, so the gospel which we preach is that Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins. He was buried. I didn't got to fall off. I know it. I got small ears, John. It's okay. We'll get, we'll get it back on. And he, then he rose, the third day he rose again. The, without the resurrection, and this is a beautiful chapter, and I love teaching on this, man. I, I love teaching on two days, and I love teaching every day, but there, I mean, obviously, the birth of Christ and this, this whole Christmas theme is great. But the one I love actually better than that, I love to teach on the resurrection, which I always do teach on the the Passover and the death before that because it happened three days before, right? So, I mean, it's an easy, it's just a great time to preach because I love the resurrection. I love the fact that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, if Christ is still in the grave, you guys are out of luck. You guys are out of luck. You're still in your sin. I mean, if if we don't believe in the resurrection, we got a problem here. We just go out and drink and be merry. That's what he says, right? So, I mean, we, we need this second pillar of the gospel, which is the, is the resurrection of the life of Christ. It's not just the resurrection. When we, what do we think about when we think about the resurrection, right? What do we think about? We tend to think the end. We, we, we want, we, we go to the good stuff. Ah, 
heavenly bliss. Oh, and some people are even going to the point where, oh, I think my dog's going to be in heaven with me, right? But no, they think, they think heaven. They think heavenly bliss, right? They think eternal life. They think, oh, St. Peter's going to open the gate for us. Wait, I, I threw that in because this was St. Peter Church, right? Or something. Long ago, Catholic Church. So, but some of that's true. We are going to be in bliss. It is going to be the most amazing future that we have. It's going to be awesome, right? How can we take that bliss away? But it's, you know what? St. Peter's not going to be there. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the door. If anybody's going to open the door and welcome you, it's going to be him, right? I am the door of the sheepfold. No one comes through the door except through me. But heaven's not even correct. You know, when we think of heaven, where, where, is our, where do the believers... When we, when we look at the Bible, what does it say the home of the believer is? The New Jerusalem. Where is that? It comes down out of heaven. You, know, you ever think about that? We even got heaven wrong. We do not live in heaven, guys. Eternal life is going to be in the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city that is approximately, in our terminology, 1,500 miles wide, deep, and high. It's a 1,500 mile cube. That's kind of the, the dimensions it gave. That's 12 gates. It's got foundations. It's got, it, it's got streets of gold. It's got the tree of life. God's going to be in there. There's going to be no need of light. So we got the description in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, don't we? Do we not? So now, of course, anywhere with God is heaven. Jesus says, you will be with me to paradise, to the thief on the cross. And he was literally in paradise that day, even though Jesus went down for three days instead of up. But he's still with Jesus, because anywhere with Jesus is paradise. Amen? And so, yeah. But, you know, we call it heaven, but we really, what, you're gonna, you're gonna get to chapter 11. What I, one thing I love about chapter 11 is what was Abraham's focus? Abraham's focus was not heaven. It was the heavenly city. It was this promise that he knew the city that, that God took him to, wasn't it? He, he, that was just this little soldier pilgrim time on earth. He was looking for that heavenly city. So when we look, when we think about the resurrection, we're missing, I think we tend to go there to the end and to our future life and we forget about the key component of that resurrection. And that's the life of Christ. Without the life of Christ, there is no resurrection. Because if he, if, if Christ lived a, 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 a tainted life, as we all do, as we know, right? None are righteous. No, not one. If Christ lived even one tainted part of his life, that life going to heaven means nothing to us. It is the righteousness of Christ, the righteous life of Christ, which means so much to us. Romans 5.1, if we can go to that next slide. that Yeah, go, you are good, man. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's unpack this word justified. Theologically, it's a term. Paul uses it 18 times in the book of Romans. In fact, when I teach the book of Romans, and I have had the privilege to teach the book of Romans more than 10 times in the mission field. I mean, all the way through all 16 chapters, and talk about a race. I mean, boy, an endurance. 
race. 16th chapters through the most theologically sound book of the Bible. And, and your head is just spinning by the time you get done with 16 chapters. But justified, 18 times in the book of Romans, means that you are declared righteous. God, do, God does something. And he shouts it out. This declaration is like a proclamation. It's like sharing the gospel. Like we, we, when we share the gospel, we should be proclaiming. He proclaims you righteous. Oh, wait a minute. You aren't righteous. Romans chapter 3, verse 1 says, None are righteous. No, not one. None has done good. Because we can't. We, 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 we fail. We're human. But Christ did it all, right? Christ did that. He didn't just pay our price. He lived the life that we cannot live. So Hebrew, so to show us that, and you guys have been there already, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Next slide. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, but yet without sin. It is that perfect life of righteousness that is waiting for us in heaven. The importance of his what? When we talk about the sacrifice, we talk about the first pillar. I didn't really, I didn't really put this together in my early years of Christianity. But as I studied this out, I put that together. Even the first part pillar of the gospel is gone without the righteous life of Christ. Because it's not a good sacrifice. Right? The death of Christ is what pays for our sin, but it only pays for our sin because it is better than a bull and a goat. It is the perfect sacrifice. It is blood that is not tainted. It is blood that is not has no dis-ease. It is perfect blood. And so without that, without that sinless life, even the first pillar breaks down. And so you can start to see, we can start to see how important the resurrected life of Christ is. And so when we look at the word justified, it is from the root word just, which goes back to our verse, the first verse we talked about today. The just shall live, meaning the righteous shall live. How would, how do you live? How do I live? Not on this earth. We're going to, we're going to talk about that when we get to the, to this, to the third point, uh, part of this message, but how do we live eternal life with God if we are not righteous? The righteous life of Christ is given to us. Now, righteousness. So if we look at justification, and justification has this idea of, of uh, being declared righteous, then we have to look at righteousness. What does that mean? Righteous, now, righteousness, Paul loves to use 44 times in the book of Romans, 78 times or 74 times in all of his epistles. As we know, Paul wrote 13. I think he actually wrote Hebrews myself, maybe 14, but we'll not go there. We'll let John go there at the end. Um, uh, he'll go there in chapter 13 when he talks about the starts talk, the author starts talking about his chains. Then you can talk about that. Anyway, so, but righteousness, very simple word, actually. Do what is right, (laughs) which is really the hardest thing for us to do sometimes, right? Do what is right. It's used in two ways, to to do what is right, 
to do the right way, the right thing. And also from a righteousness standpoint is to be put right with someone. So if I'm in a bad situation with my wife and we reconcile and I get into a right relationship with her, we, we figure it out and we, we, come, we reconcile, then I have been made righteous in her eyes. I've been made righteous. I've been put right with. Same thing with God. But I want to go back to justification. I want to just paint a picture for us because I think it's really important to us to see theologically what our destination is in order to see. Because I think that one thing that helps us to live the current life is to know what's going on in God's eyes, is to know what's really going on inside the spiritual realm of what we live in, right? We Easy for us to see the physical realm. You know, it's easy for us. I'm hungry. Let's go eat. It's easy for us to see that. It's hard for us to see the spiritual realm. Justification comes from the a, a, a legal type of term. It comes from a court of law. It comes from being from the word justice, if you will. And and so I just want to kind of paint this picture for you. And so if we got a, a courtroom, oh boy, that speaker just killing me. All right, we're going to move this guy over here. All right. God's got, the father has his briefcase. It contains the book of life. And uh, we know that there is a great right, white throne judgment. We know that if we had not, have not accepted Christ as our Savior, as our Lord and Savior, and been justified by faith in him, we're going to go. We're going to face that. This is a great white throne. This is a great white throne. It's a little brown, but it's the great white throne. God is sitting on it. And he's going to make a judgment. That, that, it, this is in the Bible. He's going to make a judgment. He says the books are open. He's going to look at your life and he's going to say, guess what? You missed the standard. You didn't believe in my son and you did all this stuff, which we know is not righteous. We know there's a lot of that stuff that's not right. And he's going to make a proclamation, isn't he? Is he not? Guilty. That's, that's really what God's going to say. Guilty. And what is their destination? The eternal lake of fire. That's what it says. Don't shoot the messenger. That's what it says. The eternal lake of fire. You're guilty. Gone. But for those of us who have Christ, for those of us who can put ourselves in this study that we're doing this morning and say, I've done all, I've done all this. I've placed my faith in Christ. Christ has done all that take, that, that takes into account that, you know, that, that needs to happen. Then the father, we don't even go there. In fact, it's so wonderful that we don't even have to go to face God because Jesus already said, okay, I set them apart. I take this group, these believers, my body, the, all the brothers and sisters in Christ, and I set them apart, they do not even have to go to that great white throne. Why do that? Why? Because they have been given my righteousness. Because I have stepped in front of them and I've said, Father, you don't need, you don't even need to declare. You don't even need, there's no judgment to give to these people. There's no guilty or not guilty. I've set them apart and I've said they are righteous. And you know what? They're righteous because they have my righteousness. And of course, God says, amen. <laughs> the father says, yes, perfect life of my son 
is all they need. That's all they need. You pay for their sins. You live the righteous life. That's all they need. And so you get this beautiful picture that if if you have that righteous life of Christ, you don't even have to go there. But if you don't, you have this prosecutor, the devil, accusing you. You got the books that God has on your life accusing you. And you've got absolutely a horrible destiny. And that's the lake of fire where the worm never dies. The fire never is quenched. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that for anybody. And so I take that great commission seriously. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Get it out there. Share those two pillars. Truth number one of the resurrection. I'm going to talk about two truths of the resurrection. And so let's go to that next verse. Verse four, chapter four, verse 23. Got yeah, I told you he was good. Um, now, it, now it was often, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and would raise because of our justification. Do you see the two pillars there? Do you see the, he was delivered up. He was put on the cross for our offenses. Not his. He was perfect. He was sinless. He walked this life and was tempted in all ways. Can you, I, I try to come to grips with that and I can't because I, I fail so many times and, and, and I'm thinking, how could he do that? How could he? He was tempted as we are. It's easy when we think of this, it, it's easy for us to go and say, ah, he's God. He's God. I can't do it. I'm not. You know, uh, he, oh, he, he is the spirit. I, I'm not the spirit, you know. Because we know that the power we have to live the righteous life on earth is the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? I mean, that is the, that, that's what we have. Jesus sitting at the right hand, right hand of God. The Holy Spirit was given to us as helpers, as to, as the convictor, as the one that says, don't do that. Don't do that. But Jesus did it. Jesus said, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit a hundred percent of the time. You and I don't, unfortunately. We don't because sometimes we're stubborn. We don't sometimes because we are uh, in a hurry. We don't sometimes because we're just human. We're not even thinking and, and we don't even hear the Holy Spirit. And it's just like, boom, we do it. We lash out in anger. We tell a little white lie. We do this, not white lie. There is no white lies, right? That's my old Catholic days. But you see the two pillars. Second pillar, he was raised because of our justification. Interesting. Interesting. When, when we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about he took something up to God. We, 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 we have this ascension uh, view in our mind and, oh, uh, the, the apostles are looking at this. Oh, this is great. You know, Jesus is going up. Jesus just isn't going up to heaven. Jesus is taking his life to heaven. And without that, without the life of Jesus going to heaven and being available to you and I, we have no righteousness. Do we get that? I mean, we have no righteousness. And so I love that second pillar. How's that happen? It's this first word in the verse. It's called the doctrine of imputation. It was imputed. 
Now, let's go back and let's just, just quickly touch on the story of Abraham. I'm not going to go there. Romans chapter 4, you can read it on your own. But we know Romans, uh, Abraham was made a promise by God, right? You're going to have a son. And in this son, all the promises I've made you are going to happen. Oh, wait a minute. I'm like 90. I'm like 95. My wife's like 85. We're like, you know, by the time it actually happens, Abraham's like 110 or 5 and, and, Sarah, and Sarah's like 95. You know, it's like, cause you know, God waited a long time. I mean, talk about someone that didn't waver from the promise. Romans chapter 4 says that even though they were dead, in their bodies, and they were, they were beyond childbearing, he did not waver at the promise of God. What about you and I? We got promises. Do we waver? Do we waver? Do we, do we got the promise of the resurrection, do we not? Romans chapter 8. The redemption of your body is your hope. In fact, all creation is wanting, is waiting, it's just, just boiling over for us, for the redemption of our body. And the redemption of our body is our hope. Paul says you were saved in this hope. Wait, wait a minute. I thought our, I thought my hope was eternal life. I thought my hope was this, a new house. I thought my hope was this or whatever. No, your hope is your redeemed body glorified like Jesus. That's our hope. And of course, that glorified body is, is what we live eternally in. That rate, but that, that, so when, when Abraham was given this promise and it took a long time to happen and he didn't waver, God says, that was righteousness right there. I'm going to give you something. I'm going to put into your account the righteousness that I have. Because Abraham, you're not righteous on your own, but I'm going to make you by that faith, by not wavering, I'm going to give you that righteousness. And he put it in his account. And he says, that's not written for his sake alone. That's written for us. And so the doctrine of imputation is that the righteousness of Christ is placed in our account because of the resurrection. Remember, if the resurrection didn't happen, the righteousness of Christ is in the ground. And that, that, can't, and that can't be given to you. It's got a bunch of dirt on it. It's still there. A bunch of dried bones. Maybe dust at this point. The righteousness of Christ is given to us because of the resurrection. Blessed be the man. Now, here's the, here's, I, I love this in, in Romans chapter 4, what David says. King David says in chapter 4, verse 8, Blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Do you get that? He imputes righteousness, but he does not impute sin. I want to show us what your life really looks like in God's eyes. Because a lot of us struggle with sin. Man, we struggle with sin and then the devil beats us up and then we, we, we just feel worthless. I can't serve in the church. My God, I'm, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I, I can't, I'm not possibly as holy as the brother over there or the sister over there. Let them serve. And the devil beats us up that way. But not in God's eyes. In God's eyes. And what this, man, I love this part. And we're going to stop there and we're going to go to the next verse to show you what, in God's eyes, what happens. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, 
These he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Do you get that? It's already done. What I love is that your account was set before you were even born. It was set before the foundation of the world. It was before Genesis 1.1. We're looking at Genesis 1.1. Man, there was history before that in God's eyes. It was you. It was me. It was every person that placed their faith in Jesus Christ that he said, you know all that sin that Charlie commits? I don't even put it in there. That's To me, that's wonderful. Because sometimes I think, does God remember my sin? Man, because he's a smart guy. And, and I just sinned yesterday. So does he remember that? Is he going to get mad at that? I, I think that way sometimes. And that's the devil to me. You know, that's just stupidity, right? Because if I remember what the Bible says, that my account has no sin in it. God knew from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, that Charlie was going to place his faith in him on August 10th, 2003, or whatever it was, and you know, too, too bad late. And, and, and that's it. And, and because of that, I never put the sin in his account. And by the way, I not only didn't put the sin in, I took the righteousness of my son and put it in his account. Already, it's done. It's in there. That's all God looks at. I love that. Because God's not, God's not trying to, trying to, you know, watch over us like a little mean father. You know, pounce on us every time he, every chance he gets. No. God wants us to live in this righteousness of Christ that he put in our account. That's the righteousness of a disciple. And so I, I love that. And so the, imp, the, the, imp, the flip side of imputation is that your account has been clean. Isaiah looks at it from a man's view. Oh man, I was crimson, now I'm white. No, God, you were never crimson. If you placed your faith in Jesus Christ from the foundation of the world, you were never crimson. Your account was never crimson. It was always white. You don't know that. You live in the real time. God knows that. He knows the end from the beginning. Right? So I just love that. When I think of the second, the second pillar, I look at the, the, the I look at the, the fact that it is, it is the righteousness of Christ that is taken to heaven. And then the second truth is that we have to live in that righteousness. It, it, it's given to us in order to live in that righteousness. Not, not given to us to ignore. So the second truth is we move on to the next slide, 510. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled we should be saved by his life. You know, it's interesting, the cross doesn't do the saving part. You ever think about that? The cross is to pay for your sins. The cross is to bring you from enemy, from a, from an, uh, you could almost call it like a rebellious son or daughter to a loving relationship with your father. That's what the cross does. But, it is the resurrection of Jesus. It is the, the life of Jesus that saves you. It's not me, is it? <laughs> it's like, where's my phone? Um, so it is his life. It's his, li- his righteous life that does the actual saving part of our salvation. 
Say, you are sick. You shall be saved by his life. And he even says that in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. If you confess your mouth with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, there's that arrow, you shall be saved. Oh, wait, where's the cross? Wait, I thought we had to believe in the cross to be saved. Hmm, interesting. For with the heart, one, verse 10, if it's up there, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you see what your belief is? Your belief in the resurrection, and I mean belief. When we say we believe in the cross and we live and we are and we we are uh, forgiven, what does it say for us to do? Forgive others, right? If your heavenly Father is going to forgive you, forgive others. You know, if He loved you. What are you to do? Love God, love others. You know, we, we, the response we have to the cross is to live that cross in our own life. To be a disciple, what's the first thing he says? Take up your cross. So we're not to ignore the cross and we don't, right? I think if, if we all would try, I love that exa- uh, an example, current day example of, of, of forgiveness is this, uh, this brother, this brother that forgave the, the, the cop in Dallas that just got 10 years for going into the wrong apartment and shooting his brother. And he forgave her in public, in the courtroom, with a big hug and tears. And you know what he did? Christ has forgiven me. Christ wants to forgive you. Amen, man. God, God loved that guy. Man, just praise the Lord for that guy. That's what he wants from us. And, and, and that's the, that's the impact of the righteous life of Christ going to heaven. We believe unto that righteousness. Our belief in Jesus and the cross and the resurrection is what delivers that righteousness to us. And of course, before the foundation of the world, right? It's already done in God's eyes. So, the, the discipleship that we have uh, I'm going to go through a, a few verses here, and we're good on time, John. <laughs> we're good on time, church. <laughs> okay, yes. Uh, Re- Revelation uh, three seven. Uh, These things says he who is holy, he who is true. There's three aspects of Christ's life. So when we when we look at what Christ's life did for us. Uh, what does now, what does Christ's righteous life demand from us? Because there is a response. In fact, we're going to end with the response in Romans 12.1. And we'll get there. Don't go there yet. But 12.1, that says, lay down your life, a living sacrifice. That's the response. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's like on his knees begging you to do it. First Peter chapter 15, verse 16. But he, as he who called you is holy, so you also... Be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And so when we think about the righteous life of Christ, it's, there's many verses in Scripture that point to the disciple needing to live that same righteous life. Now, again, we, we'll make a lot of excuses that we don't do that. One, the first aspect of Christ's life is he lived according to the truth of the gospel. In everything he did, in everything he did, he lived to the truth of the gospel. 
He said, he is true. In fact, we know that he made this bold statement that John records for us in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, Jesus makes the pretty bold statement, I am the truth. But here he said, he doesn't say he's the truth. He says, I am true. And there's a big difference there. Because true means that you're matching something that is the truth. Right? I mean, if I go out and say I'm a Christian, I don't live like a Christian, I'm not true. I'm false. I'm a hypocrite. And Jesus says, be true. In fact, the Church of Philadelphia is the is the standard of all the seven churches. The Church of Philadelphia is the standard by which we should live because Jesus describes it and says, because you have kept my word, you have kept my commandment to persevere, I've got these great things. Never said a bad thing about them. You can't say that about the Church of Thyatira, Sardis, Laodicea, Church of Philadelphia. Not a bad thing to say about them. You know why? Because he describes what a believer is or should be. Holy and true. Peter says, be holy. We could have a hundred more verses in the New Testament that says that, right? Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, put on Christ. Put on Christ? We can't put on Christ, but we can do something. We can put on his righteousness. We can put on the, the, the example of the righteous life of Christ that he gave us. We can put it on. That's what Paul's really saying to the Galatians. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and here it is, and make no provision for your body, for your flesh, to fulfill its lusts. You put on Christ. You say to yourself, the example is, or, or the, 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 the uh, exhortation is, that you are to put on His righteousness and give absolutely no thought to your own body, to all of the lusts that happen in our body. And we know they do. We have lust like crazy in our body, in our mind. And, 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 and now with the enticements of the, in the world, my goodness, you, have to, you almost have to stay in a, in a little tunnel in order to not sin and not have your mind wander off, right? It's crazy. Well, back then it was crazy too. Because he tells, he tells the Roman, he tells the Roman people living in that part of the world back then, make no provision for your flesh. So, the second one. First, we should live according to the truth of the gospel. Second, we need to show Christ. As he showed his father, remember what he said? Everything I say, the father told me to speak. Everything I do, father told me to do. He was, when we look at the life of Christ, his dedication to God was incredible. Now, of course, we can say, well, he's human, but he was also God. Well, no. When he lived on this earth, he had a dedication. It was to his Father. We have that same Heavenly Father. That same Heavenly Father that gave us the righteousness of his Son. And he's saying to us, be holy. Do the same thing. So, we need to show Christ as he showed his Father. Third, we need to be obedient to Christ as he was to his father. Romans 6.18 Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. But And then verse 22, But now having been set, been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, 
you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. You see, slaves talks about, right? Slaves is pretty easy. When you, you look at, when you look at a slave, you're talking obedience. What was the number one thing they required of your slave back then and what we would call an employee today? Obedience. When an employee is not obedient, if you're a business owner, if an employee is not obedient, it, go, it drives you absolutely crazy. I told you to do this. Why didn't you do it? Well, God's telling us to do the same thing. Present your member. Present your body. Paul says, present your life a living sacrifice. Slaves of righteousness. Do we think about that? Do we, you know, I, I, I think I want to challenge us today, including myself. What are we, what are we thinking of when we think of that we are a slave? Or do we even consider that we are a slave? Because according to this, you have been set free from sin to become slaves of righteousness. We are to be a slave. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to live the Christian life how I want to live it. That's not what God says. You are slaves of righteousness. And the the next verse, 22, you are slaves of God. And of course, Jesus is our Lord and master, right? We are slaves. And this is why the the, the Romans 10, 9 is so important. You believe unto righteousness. Believe in your heart to resurrection and unto righteousness. What do you do with your mouth? You confess Jesus is Lord. You confess that he is master. That he is the one I need to follow. Take up your cross. Die to self. Actually, take up your cross is number two. Die to self. Take up your cross. And do what? Follow me. Follow me. Meaning, uh, you're my slave. I'm the master. I'm out here. You're behind me. Do what I do. Say what I say. I love how when we look at Jesus' life, I love it. I say everything the Father told me to say. Well, man, they must have had an incredible conversation before he came to earth because he said a lot of stuff. But of course, we know that, you know, their minds like telepathically the same. But, you know, but the same thing. We know what God said. We have his word. I hope this is my Bible. No, just kidding. We have his word. Jesus is the word. He is the word. The Bible is the word. The the word came from God. We have his word. We know what he said. So for us to say, well, I can't say everything the father told me to say because, you know, I don't know everything he said. Yes, you do. (laughs) It's in the Bible. And that's why he gave it to us. So I'm going to leave with this. Uh, I know we're getting late. Um, I, I do not like preaching on communion Sundays, although I love communion. Anyway. Just let's leave with this standard. Philippians 2.8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. When we look at those uh, sections of scripture from Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 6 through, I think it's like 11 or 12. That humility of Christ, that humility saying, I know I'm God, I'm God, but you know what? It's not about me. I'm going to lay it all down. I'm going to lay it all aside. I'm going to lay my majesty aside. I'm going to lay my glory aside. 
It's not about me, it's about you. And it's about me. And it's about every human being that ever walked the earth that he was going to be obedient to, to the Father to the point of death. Wow, we have a hard time doing that. When I think about death, I mean, not death, not death in death. I can't wait to die because I'll be with Christ. That's, that's the idea we should have. The resurrection is a good thing. The, the glorified body is a good thing. But when I consider death as in dying to myself and dying to my sinful lusts and dying to my sinful thoughts and dying to all of that, consciously, it's easy to say, well, okay, I'll die and then tomorrow, I'll, but oh, tomorrow I'll live for myself. No, consciously dying and being obedient. Man, that's hard. That's hard. I struggle along with all of you. Every, trust me. We struggle, but that's what God wants from us. That's what he encourages us to do, is to think about his life and think of that righteousness that's in your account, not your own, it's his. And he just says, imitate me. Just be like me. Follow me, right? And so, how do we do that? Romans 12.1. I said I was going to leave, but I always do this. I always got one more verse. So... Bear with me. This is it. I swear. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Paul's begging. I can almost see it. If you look at the Greek word, the Greek word is he's begging like his life depends on it. And and, and, and this is his response. Remember, he just painted 11 amazing chapters. If you go for, through the first 11 chapters of Romans, um, trust me, your head will be exploding. It'd be exploding with all of the amazing things that God did and God has done. You know, God did and is doing. And then he says, respond. Paul already responded. He said, oh my goodness. At the end of chapter 11 says, oh, the, 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 the depth, the height, the, who can understand this awesome love of God, right? But now he says for us to respond, right? I beseech you, I beg you, therefore, brethren, by these mercies of God, by everything we've just discussed, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. There's that word holy again. Holy. We get the idea, we, we, we sometimes think holy is sinless. And that's not the case. Holy is, if you look at the Greek word for holy, it is 100% consecrated, dedicated to God. The result of your holiness will be sinlessness. Right? The result, as you dedicate yourself to God, as Jesus, you know, I think I figured it out. You can do it. You can be like Christ. You can not sin like Christ. And you're like, no, the Bible says everybody sins and he was sinless. No, you can. If you're 100% dedicated to God and his ways. 100%. Not 99.99999. And of course we don't. Right? Because we get caught up in life and our, and our flesh and whatever. But there it is. Holy. Pure. Purely dedicated to God. A pure life dedicated to God. Acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The word service there is worship. When we think about worship, worship music, worshiping the, in the word, your reasonable, your reasonable worship when you, when we walk out these doors, our reasonable worship 
is to lay down our life as a living sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? You think about, we we often think, okay, I'm going to go to church and worship God on Sunday. You should be worshiping God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, laying down your life as a living sacrifice. That's what Paul says. So let me end in prayer. I guess the worship team's going to come up this time. Oh, no? Okay. I'll just end in prayer. John's giving me the... All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your son. We thank you that you took that righteous life of your son